Welcome to TV7 Israel's podcast. We invite you to listen and share our latest content from Israel and the region. Hello from Jerusalem and welcome to Watchmen Talk, a series of conversations with Israeli security, military and intelligence practitioners and experts. Our guest uh, today, as was uh, most recently, is a retired Commissioner General and Major General Shahar Elon, a veteran of uh, the Israeli Yamam elite uh, anti-terrorist squad of the National Police and other organizations uh, having to do with law enforcement and homeland security. Welcome again, Shahar. Thank you very much. In our last conversation, uh, we dealt uh, with your career up until you left Yamam and joined the broader uh, police service. Now, one should um, uh, explain to foreign audiences that in Israel, the police is a national organization. It is not a municipal one. It is not like the NYPD. It is more like the FBI. But because Israel is not a federal system, it handles everything. And um, when you decided that you are making your career uh, with the police in the early 1980s, um, what did you see uh, ahead as your career goals? Well, Israel police is based on the British police. And I will even will say even the Turkish police. And a lot of habits, uniforms, and way of thinking came from the British tradition. The Israel police is a national police, and the structure was laying on the district of the uh, uh, jurisdiction and uh, district of the British police. So district commissioners or district commanders uh, were, in effect, stronger than the national staff, the national headquarters of the police. Yes, because the British gave their uh, original and district commanders a lot of uh, uh, abilities, and uh, they gave them the power to decide at at a lot of way of thinking, uh, a a lot of uh, ability to decide about the life of the uh, the population there, um, and um, they had um, um, the power, and it was an important position to be a district commander or even a station police uh, commander. So in my, uh, let's say, uh, I was eager to be a commander of a police station, and I will surprise you, I was dreaming to be the commander of the most uh, southern station in Israel, which we call Elat Station, which lays, or let's say, uh, stays by the Red Sea uh, in the most southern uh, point of Israel. And and you made made it eventually. And after, let's say, approximately 10 years, I was there, and it was like a feeling of a sheriff because it's a, a, a border city, uh, uh, in the in the in the most uh, 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 far uh, uh, city in Israel, from the from the center, from Jerusalem and Tel Aviv, 
And it's a desert uh, uh, area. A desert Hundreds zone. of kilometers from the nearest town. Nearest town. And this, it, this is the most city with, that we sometimes call there the Wild West. And it was really an experience there to be so, there. So this was, this was your ambition. And as you mentioned, the, the British uh, uh, mandate, of course, uh, the British police ruled over day-to-day life in Israel from 1918 to 1948. And the tradition stayed when the Israeli police was founded. But we are now talking 30 or more years after that. And this was still... The uh, habit of the, the old police officers? That's right. Uh, the British has a very long uh, police, uh, policing uh, tradition, and uh, they had the mounted police with horses, they, and we still have these horses uh, in the same tradition. Of Not the same horses. Not the same horses, I hope. Uh, usually a horse can live uh, 17, 18 years, but still uh, there is a mounted police in Israel. Uh, the forensic laboratories one, one should know that you um, used to own maybe still do uh, horse, horses and uh, yeah, and right. you you love to ride that's right and uh, there was a very good investigation units uh, they were very efficient they were very uh, everything was in order a lot of um, uh, uh, order and the um, discipline uh, elements in the in the police and uh, in this time when I uh, recruit to the police the what we call the blue police and it's not the green police the green police is the border police it has to do with the uniforms yes with the uniforms the color of the uniforms and it was very strict where very uh, in order everything was uh, was written more military than the military in Israel that's right. Now, uh, there are three basic functions uh, for the police in Israel. Security, which we mentioned regarding Yamam and other operations. You have law and order in its basic form, crowd control. Um, and you have the anti-corruption or uh, other investigations. Domestic uh, uh, defense and, of course, uh, the traffic. The traffic is... And well. You chose... The, the regular um, route of, uh, as you say, advancing from uh, a patrol officer to um, commanding a station and then up to a district and hopefully commissioner general. Uh, what was your experience? First, you, you served in addition to a lot in Tel Aviv and in Jerusalem, and we will get to the Temple Mount uh, riots of uh, 1990. Uh, where uh, you distinguished yourself and you won a medal for that. But regularly, if you have um, your uh, uh, police job in Tel Aviv or Jerusalem, what were the problems? First of all, when I tried to join and to um, come from the Yaman, from the special unit, to the, what we call the regular uh, police, Most of the highly ranked officers in the blue police in the in the regular police were with a British tradition and they say to me, okay young uh, boy, we have a lot of experience our career is going very slow. First of all, if you want to be a real policeman, go to one year to study in the uh, in the academy of the police. So I said, but I have already, In officer ranks uh, just give me a seminar or something 
one year, of course, they said, if you want to be a real police officer, you have to go there and to study all the, all the method, all... Uh, As if you're a, a very fresh recruit. Yes. I said to myself, okay, I have to decide. And it was not, a, let's say, I was not happy. I felt that they give me the long road, but it, will, it was very helpful on the days uh, later. And, and later you stayed there as an instructor. Yes. You came back as an instructor. In a chief instructor there in, the, in this school. So I passed this uh, officer course one year, and then I joined the basic uh, police uh, method or the policing is the patrol in Tel Aviv and then patrol in Jerusalem. So the patrol and operational was the basic, and it was very powerful and very uh, experienced. But even earlier, the Israeli police, um, because of technology, because um, uh, of economy, uh, moved from the patrolman on the beat, the, the most traditional system, to squad cars, uh, which uh, if there is a problem, Uh, you can dispatch um, somewhere else. But, but you still think that uh, police presence in the streets is very important. Yes, the police presence on the street, if the policeman is a very talented police officer, because he can stand on the street and see nothing, hear nothing, and uh, really regard from the people and uh, uh, get away from them. He can be corrupt on the street, but if it's a good police officer, the whole neighborhood will feel better. The old people, the young people, the schools, everything can be changed. So um, community policing, it's a method. If you do it right, it can help the, co- the community and give you a lot of intelligence. Uh, let's say save the patrol cars a lot of work, save the investigator a lot of work, if you do it good. If you just someone there, Like a, like a rock that is standing in the corner, it won't help. One of the police that used these points, very, very talented and very good, is the Japanese police. They are putting there in the corners. Every corner has this point, and they're doing a very good job. It's an address for the community and uh, deterrence to people who come outside of the community and perhaps uh, want... to break into a house or commit another crime. They can uh, uh, really uh, know every face on the community. They patrol sometimes on bicycle. And when someone is coming, a burglar, a robber, or someone else, and he uh, immediately knows that this one is not from the neighborhood, and you have to ask him uh, about his uh, presences there. We know it from the opposite experience that sometimes... Our Israeli Mossad operations were um, uncovered by, these, by the police, not, yes. not by some sophisticated uh, counterintelligence unit, but because the policemen saw that there is an irregularity, something which uh, does not happen every day, and uh, it raised uh, the suspicion. The detectives, the patrol, the police is the first, let's say, scout in the area. And they see marks of something that is strange, a marks, a, a footprint that is not uh, a regular footprint. And these, these are the people that exposed 
But later on, when you uh, rose uh, to become uh, a more senior officer, you thought that there is um, a heavier layer of middle management in the police which one can do without, that you can have um, supervisors in direct control of um, police officers. Yes, uh, these supervisors and the abilities of these supervisors is first of all experience, uh, their uh, way of looking on the situation and will give support to the people on the field. And this is very important layer because this is the working layer, but give them the, it's like a mentors. Uh, General Ayalon, um, could you please recount your experiences from two jobs? One was uh, in the uh, Temple Mount uh, riots of 1990, and then some 10 years later, when you were in charge of uh, the police district in the West Bank. Okay, first of all, the tension between Christians, Muslims, and Jews in this close... Uh, uh, I, I will say in, in Jerusalem, uh, but not only in Jerusalem, in Nazareth, in Jerusalem, in the West Bank. Mixed uh, cities. All the, on the, on the, uh, all the Middle East is a tension that goes for generations, thousands of years. And this is something that people believe and really um, uh, afraid that someone will hurt their belief, will... Uh, will take their, uh, their position. And there is a lot of tension, very, sen very sensitive. In a minute, a riots and disturbances can go up because of the sensitivity. It's emotionally, very emotionally. And people really afraid what's going on. And behind the curtain, there is uh, some interest, some people that are gaining a political uh, um, political uh, gains or political uh, issues from incitement from inside yes so uh, you have to be uh, all to react very fast uh, to the, to these actions to riots because if you take or, or you react to a small one it won't be a, be a bigger one. Thank but, the, but there is no permanent police presence there. You have to go from outside usually, don't you? Usually you have to go from outside. But if you have intelligence, you have some information that something is going on, and sometimes you can smell, you can smell it in the air that something is going on, there is a tension in the air, you better be inside before. In uniform or is undercover in civilian clothes? Usually in, in uniforms, because it's very, it's very difficult to be undercover there. Uh, the people are prayers and the people that know each other. And uh, they even can hurt this uh, uh, detective. So it's better be on uniforms. And we'll, it's something that you say to the, to the surrounders, to the surrounding. I'm here. Be careful. Don't raise their tension. Everybody staying in this point. So what did you do to, to diffuse the situation, to extinguish the fire, if we are referring to your other job later? Um, how do you go about it? Do you find leaders in the crowd you can talk to? 
Um, do you find the main insiders and take them out? What, what is the uh, best practice? First of all, you have to be in full contact and a long relationships with the leaders. Sometimes the leaders disappeared because they understand that there is going to be a disturbances and someone is taking the lead. This in itself is an early warning. If you it's can't find a leader. Warning. It's an early warning. You can find them. You can't reach them by the phones. You can understand something happens. And I told you, there is a, you can feel the tension in the air. You have to arrest the people that lead the riots because the leaders are very important. And sometimes the leaders are not from the area, like coming outside, even not even from the West Bank, but even from abroad. You have to raise them. Second, they have to know that you have a, the force, the ability. Sometimes they can see it. So you have to establish special forces that knows all the exits, all the, the entrances, all the, um, uh, uh, the, they have the equipment. Uh, to riots uh, uh, and to uh, react in a special force with border patrol, with uh, SWATs. So this is the second thing. And then you need some patience because you don't uh, want to, um, to count casualties in the event. So sometimes you, know, you need to spread. On either side, you don't e want casualties. On either side, yes. But uh, what uh, we found out, or uh, perhaps re-found out, because it's an old lesson, um, later in 2000, in, um, in a problem you were not uh, involved in, other officers were, uh, in October of 2000, is that if you have too small a police force uh, and uh, it feels threatened, um, it shoots um, earlier, than it uh, would have been if uh, it felt secure. Um, but if they feel that uh, they are under personal danger, that uh, they are going to be overwhelmed by the crowd, there will be more casualties. So it is better to be um, reinforced before the event than when it is too late. This is one of the principles all over the world in police. You have to use unlethal weapons. because You are police. You have to protect the people. Although they have riots, and uh, the practice is to use a little weapons. But if you are in danger, and you are in a panic, the police force is in a panic. They goes to a live ammunition, and a live ammunition caused casualties, and the casualties even sometimes tragic, and uh, these casualties makes the problem uh, even more. Um, uh, political issue, more tragic sorrow, and you have funerals it can, escalation. It can have to escalation. Funerals can give you a, a lot of sorrow, but two sides. And as you said, it's better for you to be prepared with a, a large force than to be trapped in the crowd with a small crew that will be uh, using live ammunition. To shoot itself, it's a uh, to, uh, defense. To, to, rescue, to, out. to rescue itself. Now, when you were in charge of the West Bank uh, from the police side, even though the military uh, had uh, jurisdiction, uh, had sovereignty under international law, 
Um, you also had uh, uh, a task of uh, dismantling uh, Jewish settlements. What was the special problem there? Most of the Jewish settlements that are living, settlers are living in cities or large uh, villages and settlers. Some of them are living in the age and they, they have some uh, arguments. So-called wild outposts. Wild outposts that uh, are not in the official, official maps. They try to gain more land Uh, more control on the area. And there has a very close range with the Arab, with the, with the, with the Arab uh, or villages around. And in this point, there is a lot of risk. And because they want to say to the surroundings, don't come close to us. We have ammunition here. We have weapons there. We are very violent to one <coughs> who's trying to, to rescue us. They are a risk for the area and for the law enforcement and, the, and for the law. So your political authorities, it was not your decision, but the government, uh, through the Ministry of Defense, ordered the police to take down some of these outposts and you had to lead your men in doing so. Yes, yeah, sometimes it's come even to the court. And the court said in a warrant, You have to evacuate these settlers. It's a, un, uh, let's say, legal uh, settlement. It was not authorized. And we, as a, as a Supreme Court even, said to the army, and you are the long hand of the army, to evacuate them from the, most of the time it's on the hill. So it begins to be a, a, a real uh, situation. They have supporters coming all over Israel, all over the West Bank. And the police, as you understand, can see this enforcement, begin to enforce their court. So sometimes hundreds of police officers and hundreds of supporters and settlers begin a quarrel. A cat and mouse game. Uh, yes, on, on the hill. Who is going to be the king of the hill? And uh, I explain to these settlers, I'm always always as a police officer, will be the king of the hill in the end of the day. And they said to me, why? I said, because you are the symbol for the whole surrounding, the whole day Middle East, that always the police have to be the one who win on this hill because it's unlegal settlement. So they understood, although they're going to be always a very long and even violent uh, fight on the hill, The police has to be in the end, and the army, and the local authorities, uh, the civil uh, uh, authorities uh, of the government, will be there on the hill in the end of the, of the fight. But, but you, at that time, you were already uh, a major general. This was your first of uh, some four or five positions in this uh, rank. And you knew that further advancement to a lieutenant general and commissioner general of the police Uh, will be dependent on uh, the um, whims uh, or agendas of the politicians. Uh, was that a consideration? And the politicians were sometimes more in line with the settlers than with the police they sent to evacuate the settlers. Was that a consideration, if not for you, for some other people in the police? 
Well, the settlers always went to the uh, political uh, right wings. Uh, some of them were uh, my, my ministers, and my uh, promotion was depend on these ministers and complain on me. And I said they uh, had too much violence, he had uh, uh, too many tricks on their heels and things like that. I must say that uh, the minister had no choice. They had to support me because it was a court, it was a governmental decision. So I was not in the middle of the, uh, of the hammer. They were. And they have to say to the settlers, yes, we'll deal with that. And to me, they said, go on. So you went um, uh, from the uh, West Bank uh, to lead the National Traffic Police and then uh, the Tel Aviv district. You had one month in the Northern district, but uh, you, uh, you were appointed Deputy Commissioner General of the police. And eventually uh, you retired and uh, was appointed as a Lieutenant General uh, of the uh, Fire and Rescue uh, Service. This was after uh, a tragedy in which uh, 44 Israelis uh, Got killed. Uh, were killed uh, in the Carmel, Carmel Mount um, in December of uh, the year 2010. Um, what is the lesson from Israel's inability to prepare for such fires? There are not too many or too frequent such tragic fires, but when one hits Israel, the price is enormous. Well, first of all, for all of us, as government, as a national organization, and even the private uh, family, don't mess with the, with, the, with the nature. The nature is stronger than any uh, uh, human force. So if the nature is getting crazy, you have to evacuate the area. Don't try to fight such a huge uh, force uh, of nature. Force of nature, evacuate the area. Second is the uh, firefighters in Israel were divided into 24 services, and we we, we uh, establish a national force that can enforce their uh, abilities and move. Um, uh, the, uh, the trucks the move the firefighters from place to place. Third, we establish the aerial abilities for fighting fire in the, in, the, in the woods, in the bush. Early warning and then also fighting... Uh... With, with uh, uh, aircraft, uh, with aerial uh, abilities. And communications. Lack of communications, radio communications, and abilities that let me add also water lines. Water we, lines. But, um, General Ayalon, our time is too short for a career as long as and illustrious as yours. So thank you very much for your service and uh, the two conversations we had. General Shahar Ayalon, thank you. We will probably meet again. Thank you for joining us in another TV7 Israel podcast. For more content, visit our website at tv7israelnews.com or follow us on social media.